So welcome to Celebrate Church. I'm glad that you are here, and I'm glad that I'm here. Today we are in our um, Hebrews series. We've been talking about Jesus is better. He's better than anything. He's better than the leaders that were in the Old Testament. Um, He's better than Moses. We'll talk about him briefly today in chapter 4. He's better than Joshua. Uh, There are some other names that we'll dive into later on in the series. But I want us to go through chapter 3 today and give you some context. If you don't remember, I say it and I will say it until I'm blue in the face, until my dying day, I want to remind you, context deepens your understanding of the content. That means the surrounding information that's there about the word of God helps inform you so that you understand what his word is truly saying and what it's talking about. So the writer, again, who remains anonymous in the book of Hebrews, is writing, listen to me, to recent converts who were Jews who have now accepted Jesus as their Messiah, but they grew up as Jewish individuals. So now they've accepted Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, and they're living their life according to that. But he, the writer of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, is writing to them to help them understand some things of their past that tie into the present and will have something to say about the future. So... Moses was held in pretty high regard. He still is today. I listen to a political commentator uh, every uh, week, and he is an Orthodox Jew. Uh, He talks about Moses all the time, even in his politics. He talks about the law of Moses and other things. It's something that they still hold in high regard today, Moses as being like almost top of the chain, like, you know, the, the pinnacle sort of thing. So the theme that's introduced, though, in Hebrews chapter 3 is that we should hold fast to our faith so that we can enter into God's rest. Now I want you to listen to me. This chapter does not have to be confusing. Okay, When you say rest, what are you talking about? God trying to take me for a nap? Like, what is going on? No, we're t- what's that? She said, yes, Lord. Um, God is trying to do more than just give you a nap. What kind of things happen during rest? <laughs> okay, <laughs> exactly. You're like, dreams? I don't know. Um, you recharge. You're energized. How about this? Uh, I mean, soldiers can definitely do it on the battlefield. I've known many, a uh, soldier or Marine who can just fall asleep anywhere. doesn't matter what the noise level is because they just, they know to shut their body off and that kind of thing. But here's the deal. Rest equals peace in some regard because we sleep. When we sleep, we're, we're at peace. All is at peace and all is at rest kind of thing. So the Bible is going to tell us in Hebrews chapter 3 that the writer of of Hebrews is going to try to explain to them that the rest that they were going to enter into was the promised land. That meant they were going to go, it wasn't going to be without a fight, it wasn't going to be without a struggle, but when they got there, they would have arrived at the destination they'd been going to for years and years, and God was finally going to give them rest. It says all throughout the Old Testament, I will be your God and you will be my people. And with God on our side, right, what, what can stop us? So there are many things that can come against us, 
but nothing can stop us. But now in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews is going to equate that idea of getting into the promised land with a rest for every believer, whether you were a Jew or not. If you're a believer in Jesus, there is something still that's available to us, which is God's rest. And we would say that that is eternal life. Being with him one day will be the rest that we all enter into as believers. So I just want to give you that idea and help you understand before we jump into the verses. Christ is the one who provides the rest that we see in scripture, talking about eternal life through his work on the cross. So Moses was good, but he wasn't good enough. Jesus was better And the rest or the eternal life that he can provide to us is better than all the sacrifices and all the other stuff that's happened in the Old Testament. That stuff was okay, but it wasn't the best. Jesus is better than all the rest. So let's go to verse one, chapter three. The title of today's message is disobedience and disbelief. This whole chapter is going to unfold for us what happened in the lives of the Israelite people and why they didn't enter in to the promised land. And you say, well, pastor, that sounds kind of dull and boring. I mean, didn't that happen a couple thousand years ago? The writer of Hebrews says that these two things can stop you today from entering into the promise of God's rest, eternity. So verse one says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Verse 3 says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Verse four has a parenthetical. It's a statement in parentheses for a deeper explanation. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. So he's already helping them to open up their understanding and probably challenging them because he says in that last verse, in verse five, he says, or verse six rather, it says that if indeed, or we are his house, if indeed we hold fast. Now, to a Jewish kid that grew up going to synagogue, hearing about the law of Moses, hearing about the tent of meeting, then the tabernacle, now the temple, they would have maybe taken pause here and said, what, we are his house? So the writer of Hebrews is trying to really drill this into their understanding that God is now living inside and with his people. So someone is the builder of every house. I don't know if you've ever seen a nice house. Have you? I've seen a lot of nice houses. In fact, I've traveled recently to like Lake Caroline and Madison. There's lots of house 
on every lot. There's lots and lots of houses, and they're beautiful houses. And I think to myself, yeah, the family must really appreciate the fact that they live in that house, but they really ought to be thankful to the one who built it, right? The builder of the house. So Moses was not the builder of the house. The writer of Hebrews is telling us he was merely a servant in the house or of the house. So this is really important because the writer of Hebrews is trying to strip away a little bit of the celebrity that Moses holds in their mind because really he was faithful in God's house as a servant, but he's not the guy who built it. Christ, God's son, only begotten son, is indeed over God's own house. So he's telling them that it's not a physical structure as much as it is a it is a physical structure like our body, our spirit, but it is not the physical structure of the temple or tabernacle that they had before. This is one of the reasons that Jesus is greater than Moses because he is the son of God. And how much better would a son take care of the house than a stranger? Or at least you would hope <laughs> that if you left your house in charge with your son, not your, you know, not this, but you know, adult, we're talking about responsible sons uh, at a certain age. So Jesus is the one who is responsible for this house. And it says, and we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Personality wise, let me ask you this. How many of you would consider yourselves confident people? Uh, about half, maybe a little bit more than half, confident, okay? How many of you have ever been misguided in your self-confidence? <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of us that have been like that, right? Uh, I'm confidently wrong, but I'm confident regardless. Um, I speak these words uh, for the first time today. Okay, so, but, <laughs> so self-assured or self-confident, that's something that we treasure here in America, be independent. Uh, I've used the joke before. Somebody told Donald Trump when he was a kid, you can do anything, even be the president. Uh, and he believed it, and he is, okay? And so, like, that idea of self-confidence is, like, ingrained inside of us. This is not what the writer of Hebrews is scratching at or getting at. He's actually alluding to something else, which I would call God-confidence, I think there might be areas of our life where we struggle from time to time in being God confident, in, in holding out hope and knowing that God is going to provide or going to do what he said he's going to do. In fact, during Pray First, our pre-service prayer this morning, I read a passage of scripture talking about the unjust judge that he even, that Jesus, as he speaks this parable, gives and he says that I, I'm telling you this story so that you would understand the reason you should always pray and never lose heart. Not lose heart in your own strength and ability, your own bank account, your own family, your own career, but not lose heart in him who our heart should be based in or anchored in. So let me ask you this, what builds confidence? If you're a confident tradesman, um, I've got a friend, a buddy who's a welder, a master welder. And uh, if you're confident in your welding ability, how did you get to that place? It's not just a, a certain knack or a natural 
intuition. It's something else. It's actually knowledge. He is filling his mind with knowledge. So let me ask you this. If we're talking about being God confident, how can we grow in the area where we lack confidence in God? The primary way to do that is to gain knowledge. Knowledge of God's character. This is so important. If we know who God is, we'll be confident that he will do what he's promised to do, even if we don't see it right now. Even if it's been years and we've prayed the same prayer, we can have a confidence which might look stupid to others, but it's not a confidence based in ourselves. It's a confidence that God has got this because we know the character of God, that he's not a liar. He's not a cheat. He doesn't take shortcuts. He, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm getting at? So we have got to understand for ourselves that if we are struggling to be God confident in our marriage, in our finance, in our career, maybe we ought to read and study God's word on the subject and dive into a deeper understanding so that we can hold fast our confidence in him. Look at me and listen. Confidence is not automatic. It doesn't just rub off on you because you showed up here for an hour on a Sunday morning. It's manual. It's something that you have to do. You have to invest in. How many of you know how to drive a manual engine? Okay. Transmission, whatever. Okay. So, um, when I first got my, when I got my first car, it was a Jeep Wrangler. I miss it literally every day. Okay. I loved that Jeep Wrangler. And one day, God, please, you know, that's my prayer. Lord, I'll have another Jeep Wrangler, but I'm telling you, it didn't take me. And I thought I knew how to drive stick. It didn't take me, but a week, probably five days to burn out that first clutch. When my dad wouldn't pay for the clutch and made me spend my own money to go and put a new clutch on and do all the work involved. You know what? I started treating that thing like a baby. (laughs) I was taking care of that thing, but I, I learned that there was some hard work. Here's what I'm telling you. Your spiritual life is a manual. It's a stick shift. It is not automatic. It doesn't just happen because you hang out with some Christians. It doesn't just happen because you heard Caleb on your way to work this week. It doesn't just happen. It takes an intentional investment. Amen? Okay, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We'll talk about what that was says on the day of testing in the wilderness, verse nine, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So here, the writer of Hebrews is giving a direct quote to Psalm 95. If you're taking notes, you should look at Psalm 95 later on this week and read it. It's a beautifully written psalm. And he quotes a passage from there, which is in quotes, that starts in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then it continues. The understanding is there for those who might have questions about, like, why do you believe in the Trinity? The writer of Hebrews actually attributes, even though Psalm 95 does not say the Holy Spirit says, 
the writer of Hebrews says in verse 7, the Holy Spirit says. So the understanding of the Trinity was there. Psalm 95, like I said, is a beautiful uh, psalm to read. The author attributes the word of God more than a thousand years before him writing Hebrews to the Holy Spirit. So I just want to clue you in, like when you're reading, we can get through really quick and say, oh yeah, I did my devotions today. I read my 10 verses, my one chapter, my this, my that, my passage. But we really have to take a look and see some of the nuances or special things that are there. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And I think that that's awesome. I would encourage you this week to read Acts chapters one through three. It's a marvelous depiction of what God does when he fulfills his promise and he still wants to fulfill that promise even today. Let me say clearly, we here at Celebrate Church believe that the Holy Spirit is still present on the earth today and he does two major things. There are many, many things he does, but there are two major things that we always focus on. He draws people to salvation He helps them understand that they're in need of a savior. And he also, once they have been saved, he wants to empower them in their daily lives as believers. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse eight, do not harden your heart. I want you to pay attention to the wording there. Does anybody think about any other passage or any other place in scripture where it talks about the hardening of a heart? Because if so, the writer to the previous Jews, now Christians, is trying to give them something that's a a big bite to eat, to chew on. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So Pharaoh, back in the Old Testament in Exodus, had hardened his heart and turned it away from answering, you know, in the affirmative and letting the people go. And then later, the people of God, his own people, hardened their heart. So now the writer of Hebrews is trying to get them to understand this because the psalmist and the author of Hebrews knew, they understood that essentially they were challenging the Israelites to not let their heart be hardened again. Understand the the depth of this. They thought they wanted to get away from the evil, wicked guy and they wanted freedom and they didn't want to be anything like him. Fast forward 40 days in the desert, 40 years in the desert rather, and they have become like him in many ways. They've hardened their hearts towards God. They've grumbled and complained. They've been dissatisfied with what God did. And in the midst of all of that, God said, you know what? Y'all are ticking me off. I'm not letting you get into the promised land. The next generation will go, but I am not going to let you in because of what you've done. Let me say this. They were walking through a challenge and through a test in the wilderness. God clearly was putting them to the test in the wilderness. Don't allow the test that you are going through to harden your heart towards God. Whether that's a test you're going through now or a test that you will start enduring tomorrow, you have a choice to not allow your heart to be hardened. So believe in God and believe his word and obey it. Look at verse 11 to highlight that again. 
Verse 11 really is key. It says there, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You say, pastor, where's the good news today? The good news is God's word is full of caution to believers to help them stay on the right path. And today, I think that there's a response that you and I have at the end of this message that will be very helpful. The understanding that maybe there's an area of your life that's you're living in disobedience to the Lord. Maybe you're here and you don't truly believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's the case, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. But near the end of 40 years of wandering, I want to tell you a little bit about what he's referencing when he talks about there. The Holy Spirit says, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. The Israelites were in the desert and there wasn't any water. So they turned to Moses and Aaron and asked them for help. Like, hey, what are we going to do? We don't have water. Moses and Aaron went to the tent of meeting and they to- and God spoke to them. And God said, gather the people And when you gather the people, all of them together, I want you to speak to the rock and it will pour out water. Now, I got to tell you, there's like four messages here and I'm going to stop from giving you all four. But a few chapters before, to give you context, the last time involving a rock, God instructed Moses to strike the rock and to have water come out. I don't know about you, but this is way more powerful to use the spoken word in a miraculous sort of function to literally just speak to a rock, no interaction. Because if I hit a rock, I would, I would feel like, yeah, there's a spring underneath it or whatever. But me standing 10 feet back and speaking to the rock in front of these people. So God gave him those instructions and told him water would come out. But Moses was having a bad day. He was sick and tired of dealing with those people because they were sick and tired of being in the desert. And, and so in his anger, he says something this crazy. Must we bring water out of this rock for you? Huh, it's not a we thing, Moses. It's a him thing. Like this is not you involved. Like, so Moses is upset. So Moses then not obeying the voice of the Lord that spoke to him and said, speak this time to this rock in this new place and water will come out. Struck the rock twice with his staff. This It's in Numbers chapter 20 that you can read that. So water comes out from the rock because God is gonna honor the fact that his people need water and he's gonna do what he promised to do. But God immediately tells Moses and Aaron that because they failed to trust him and obey him, that they would not enter and be allowed to enter into the promised land. I know we talk about Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Bless God, he wants to bless you and give you, if he is still the same that he was yesterday, today, and forever, then we ought to receive caution from that because that means my disobedience actually affects the outcome. You, you can go home and turn on the TV, but you probably won't hear a message like that. Their disobedience and unbelief angered God, and he would not allow that generation to enter into his rest. Remember, rest meant for them the promised land. For us now, it means salvation. So the character of God is there even in the midst of our disobedience. This is beautiful. 
Because God could have ended Moses' life in that instance. He could have just done right then and given him the punishment or extinguished his life. But God continued to use him and continued to love him, even with tenderness, all the way up to the, to the day that they were about to enter into the promised land. And then Moses died. There's something beautiful, a little bit mysterious about Moses' death the Bible actually says that God himself buried Moses. It's, it's really interesting. You should look into it and find out the details. But there's, that, that, that comes from a tender place in the heart of God for a man who served him yet disobeyed, but that didn't break his relationship with God. God didn't say, I'm done with you. God continued to walk with him and help him along the way. So it's really important. You cannot do anything to earn salvation or God's rest, if we're calling it that today. So we shouldn't sell the word of God short. We don't do something to earn his favor or his salvation. But believers that live in disobedience, otherwise a lack of activity in obeying what he has commanded us as believers will not enter his rest. Look at what verse 12 says. It says, take care, brothers, and we'll add sisters. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you an evil, in in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Again, there's rich theological input here. Uh, People who say you can't backslide or fall away from God It is clearly printed in the word of God. He is giving them a warning and saying, please don't do this because it will lead you to fall away from the living God. Look at what it says in verse 13, but exhort. This word means strongly encourage. (laughs) You might strongly encourage your children to pick up their room or their toys or whatever. Uh, Urge one another every day, it says, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, verse 14 says, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I want you to look at verse 13. There are more than 30 one another statements in the New Testament. All of these one another statements involve believers in more than like two or more, okay? So love one another, be kind to one another, uh, stand in unity together, like those kinds of things. And there's one here and it says encourage or urge one another. It's been said before, I think it's a little bit cheesy, but I'm gonna say it for effect today, that dogs bark, babies cry, and Christians go to church, It's just naturally what should happen. You say, well, pastor, why are you talking about church attendance? We're here. (laughs) Yes, you are here, and I'm thankful that you're here. But if there's ever the temptation for you to not be part of the family of God, you can't accomplish the one another's of Scripture. That means I lack security in my life if I don't have believers around me that will encourage and urge me to not harden my heart. I have some wonderful brothers in the faith 
that pastor other churches, lead other ministries, that encourage me. That's important to me. I, I wouldn't be where I am today without that encouragement. And I would hope that my encouragement and urging to them would be the same, would be reciprocal, that they would experience the same thing. You need the body of Christ though. And the body of Christ needs you. So whenever you're tempted to pack up and go for whatever reasons, no matter what the season is, no matter what the situation is you find yourself in, you should always find yourself in church. And not, we're not talking about just show up on Sunday. I'm talking about be part of the family of believers. Um, I hear from my wife. There's a Celebrate Women's uh, Facebook thread. Uh, there are prayer requests that go in there. There's, you know, hey, I'm going to sell this at a yard sale. That's in there too. But there's, there's a community that happens. What we're offering on Thursday night for the men of the church, it's been a long time since we've had something like this. And I'm excited because it's time for us to just get together and hang out. It's a wonderful thing. You need the body of Christ. But look at the conditional statement in verse 14. I want you to be clear on this those who are believers here today. It says this in verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You've got to believe him until the very end. You've got to remain faith-filled. Jesus actually, let me say it like this, Jesus was offended, um, and, and I'm giving you my perspective, it's apparent in God's word, even though the words Jesus was offended is not there. It's apparent to me that Jesus was offended in Mark chapter six, because you can look there and see, in fact, he wasn't just offended, but he could not do what he had set out to do, which was miraculous signs and wonders and healings for the people because of their unbelief, because of their lack of confidence in him and who he is. You know what maintains and boosts faith? You're supposed to say the word of God. <laughs> what maintains and boosts your faith? The word of God. The word of God. Look at what Romans 10, 17 says. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ or the word of God. So how do I, if I feel like my faith is slipping, I feel like I'm not as committed. I feel like there are areas of my life where I'm kind of disgruntled and I, I might be on the urge, verge of disbelieving or saying, God, I don't know if you're ever going to come through. In fact, the words of the Israelites recorded in the Old Testament are pretty powerful. What now? You know, what, why are you, you brought us out here for what now? Now we don't have any food. Now we don't have, so their reality is their reality. Your reality might be an issue at work, an issue in your marriage, an issue in your finances, and those things are real, but your faith in God better be stronger and help you rise above your reality. So faith gets boosted by the word of God. Let's finish up this chapter. Verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? 
verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You may very well believe that God exists and you may very well believe that he had a son. This is not the type of belief that we're talking about, just believing that there's a a man upstairs. We're talking about a saving sort of faith that rests in your heart, that God loves you, created you on purpose, sent his son to die in your rightful place in order to redeem you, break you free, set you free from the bondage of sin and from captivity and to help get you into his family. That's the kind of belief that we're talking about. We're not just, because they even saw the work of God in the wilderness. You got to understand this. And there were people that still didn't believe Jesus' ministry while he was on the earth, even though he was healing blind people, healing the lame, healing the lepers. He was getting Lazarus out of a tomb. There are all sorts of walking on water. He was doing all of these things. And yet there were still people that did not believe. So verse 19 says, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let me read to you. Uh, kind of in reverse order, the last passage that we'll read today is in Exodus. And it fully explains what we've been talking about. Verse 20, it says this, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Nope. It's okay. I'm wondering if that's my fault. Does it say the reference is 14? Go in your Bibles, on your phones or paper Bibles. Exodus 14, I believe, is the right place, although I might have printed it wrong here. Then the Lord said this, I have pardoned according to your word. So he's talking to Moses, and uh, it says there in verse 21, But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despised me shall see it. So the understanding is there that God is saying, yes, I will save and continue to keep you, but there are those who did not believe me, and as a result of that, I will not allow them to enter into my rest. You remember the story of the spies, maybe, about them going into the promised land. There were 12 sent, 10 returned with a bad report, but two were filled with faith. In chapter 4, next week, we'll talk about Caleb. Talking about Caleb and Joshua saying, Yeah, we got this with God on our side. Nothing can stop us. They lived to tell the story. The others did not. Remember, there's a correlation of not entering his rest for those back then because they didn't believe in him. The same thing is true today that we will not enter into this rest if we don't believe in him. And it goes further than just me and you. Kathy's sitting here today. She's a believer. She loves the Lord. Uh, She's given her heart to the Lord. She's doing the best she can in her life to honor Christ. All of that is good and well, but she probably works with individuals who haven't yet started that path to enter into his rest. So this ought to be an encouragement to each one of you. Say, yeah, hey, check that off the list. I've got it. Good. The whole idea is then for us to share that with those who are around us. 
Sam told me he's inviting his neighbors, four guys that live around him. Never, they've never been to the church to his knowledge or anything like that. I don't know, uh, outside of maybe one campaign that we did passing out flyers, that they've been invited to the church and that kind of stuff. But he's inviting them this week. Every conversation doesn't have to end like this. Dear Jesus, come into my life. I'm a sinner, I believe. But building a relationship with those that Kathy works with, sorry, I'm using you as an example, but sure. Um, Building a relationship with those who need to get on the path to eternal rest begins with Kathy. It begins with you, Sandra, with your grandson and those that you are friends with. It begins with all of us, no matter what our age or whatever it is, there's nothing that can disqualify us from speaking or sharing God's word of hope and life to others. So worship team, would you come and join me? I wanna give this, this last moment of our service as a challenge to each one of us. Because I think the question really is, is any of this important to me? You know? It should be. But I want to ask you these two questions today. If you are a believer here, I want to ask you, is there an area of your life where you are disobeying? Now, my wife and I, um, we're decent parents. We're okay parents. Not the best parents, but we try our best, right? I think that's what it's all about. There is so much more grace that I will have on my child who didn't know better than a punishment that comes to one that did know better. So I want that thought to be in your mind today because if we have knowledge of something that's in God's word in how we should treat others or how we should live our life or what we should do with our money or any of those things, if we have knowledge of that stuff, yet we willfully disobey, grace is still available, but we don't want to tempt God and say, hey, I'm going to do this again and see if you strike me this time. So maybe there's an area where you as a believer are struggling to obey God, or maybe it's a question of belief. You know, you can read about God's faithfulness in his word. You can hear about it on a Sunday morning. You can even see it in your own life. Can I just tell you something? I've seen God's faithfulness so much in my own life. I've seen him give me and churches that I ministered in hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've seen him, it started at a young age. I've told you the story before. If you've heard it, I'm sorry. But at a young age, my dad out of a job, my mom not having income, us living in a broke down trailer on an abandoned, I thought it was abandoned, uh, Orange Grove in Florida, and having a woman led by the Spirit of God to be in the grocery store and begin to just fill her cart. She, to our knowledge, she lived by herself, did not have dogs, she bought enough dog food, she just kept putting stuff in the cart, and she says she was obeying the God of heaven. She was obeying him so that 30 some years later, I have confidence in the same God who provided then 
and I know he'll provide today and he'll provide tomorrow. I say that and I could give you examples about jobs. I could give you examples about relationships and God repairing things between people that were having animosity towards one another and God healed and brought together. I'm telling you, we can even see the miracle of God and still give in to the temptation. Maybe we've prayed and prayed and prayed and we're at the edge of giving up or losing heart. I want you to stand with me today. I want you as a believer and you say, Pastor, you know what? Hey, this was a great message. I'm good on all fronts. Then I want you to pray for someone that you know and you, that maybe the Holy Spirit put on your heart today. Someone that you can share your faith with this week and get them on the path to belief. Maybe share with a believer, encourage or encourage or urge another believer who you say, you know what, I'm not sure the things that you're doing in your life are things that are pleasing to God. I want to pray for you. I want to walk with you and be beside you in this journey. So today, just in this moment, I, I want to ask the Holy Spirit the same thing we do every Sunday, not just today because it's Pentecost Sunday. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Whisper that prayer and make that prayer known to God right now. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Chances are he's already put his finger on it minutes ago. God, I pray over this church that, Lord, as we respond to your Spirit's tug in our heart today, that we would no longer disobey, but that we would right the ship and head off in the right direction. And, God, that you would help us to hold fast our confidence in you. Lord, I thank you for this church that loves and believes in you, serves you and worships you. And God, I pray that you would strengthen the body of Christ here at Celebrate Church in Clinton. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never made the decision to have a believing faith in Jesus, I want to give you that moment of opportunity right now as the music just gets played quietly in the background. I just want to ask you this. If you have never received him as your savior, if you're willing to do so today, would you just slip up your hand so that we know who you are? We'd love to be able to pray with you if there's anyone here today like that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the believers that are here today in this room. And I pray this week would be a week of victory, turning our eyes to the hills from where our help comes from. And Lord, in the moments of our failing or disobedience and disbelief, I pray that your Holy Spirit would surge inside of each one of us and help us to look to you.